Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies here at The Times, and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with the relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. This has been a big week for awards watchers, with the Golden Globes appointing winners, altering perceptions, and giving a lucky few the chance to make acceptance speeches that feel like Oscar auditions. But then there have also been nominations for key industry groups, such as the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild, and the Producers Guild, along with nominations from Britain's BAFTA Awards. And so to help make sense of all that, I was joined by awards columnist Glenn Whip, film critic Justin Chang, and culture columnist Mary McNamara to decipher what matters, what doesn't, what makes sense, and what can simply not be explained in this most unusual of award seasons. Let's listen in. And as we were sort of rolling our way through award season, it seemed like it was a good moment for us to stop and sort of read the tea leaves and see how things are going. We just had the Golden Globes this past week, and then also there have been a whole raft of industry nominations from the Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Writers Guild, and then also the British BAFTA nominations came out. So this seems like a great moment to sort of see where we're at as far as award season. And joining me for this conversation, I have my colleagues... Mary McNamara, I am a newly anointed culture critic and columnist. I'm Glenn Whip. I'm the award season columnist. I'm Justin Chang. I'm a film critic. The Golden Globes. They just occurred. Awards given out by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Do the Golden Globes matter? How do the Golden Globes matter? And why do we give them so much attention as this sort of stopping point along the long curve of award season? Do they matter for the Oscars? They give people a stage. How about that Glenn Close speech? That won her a lot of votes, I think, for the Academy Awards. That put her in a fine position alongside Olivia Coleman from The Favorite. And, you know, Glenn Close, 71 years old, never won an Oscar. That is a crime the against most, nature. Yes, the most nominated person, most nominated actor, never to have won. And I think her very moving, very rousing speech about gender equity and her mom. It was personal. It was really inspirational. It got people standing, clapping, cheering. That mattered. Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Picture Drama. I don't think that mattered. I find that with the Globes, I keep getting confused about which movie won in which category, that Green Book won in the musical or comedy category, and that Bohemian Rhapsody won for Best Drama. And I feel like in a way that just kind of shows how the Globes, you know, it's really in some ways the thing that we like about them, which is that it's kind of Hollywood's loopiest night, that it's strange and unpredictable, and a lot of times we're not quite sure what we're going to get when we're going in. Well, you know, that's really interesting. I mean, I've always gone from dismissing the Golden Globes to grudging admiration for the Golden Globes because this is the Hollywood Foreign Press with every critic and pundit writing about how ridiculous it is year after year after year just solidly moved forward and made the Golden Globes important. That takes some doing. And so my hat is off to them. You know, I was thinking while I was watching the show, which I found a little flat for a variety of reasons, but I was thinking to myself that they've gotten so earnest, like watching them talk about the plight of the journalist to a room full of people that will not sit with a journalist unless you you like jump through like nine million hoops and can't get on the phone and all that stuff. I was thinking to myself, they're kind of like undercutting their own brand, which is everybody get drunk and say something funny and be loose. Now they're like,
like suddenly activists. And so I think that that's a problem. You know, does it predict the Oscars? That's the conventional wisdom is that it's the first big award show or the first big awards that are given out. So it's kind of like the road to the Oscars. And so there is this belief that if a film sweeps the Golden Globes, then it's definitely in a very strong position. I mean, nothing swept the Golden Globes. It was scattered all over the place, which I think actually does sort of preface this award season, which is scattered all over the place with no clear favorites. I think everyone in this room knows how I feel that Glenn Close won over Lady Gaga because the thought of Lady Gaga winning any acting award before Glenn Close won one was just like, <laughs> I would set my hair on fire. Now that may happen Oscar night and I'll just have to like be kept away from matches. Justin, you wrote a really interesting piece that was about the sort of compared the Globes to the awards given out by the National Society of Film Critics. Talk a little bit about that piece and what to you that seemingly unlikely comparison between those two seemingly unrelated groups has to say. The reason for that piece was because they just happened to be held the same weekend. I was in New York to chair the National Society of Film Critics meeting, and we gave our Best Picture Award to The Writer, which is a wonderful movie that earned all of $2.5 million at the box office and nobody saw. And if it had a proper campaign behind it, if people were, you know, it's a, what you call a small movie, I guess, although I think it's a big, beautiful movie that I wish, like a lot of movies this year, was getting more attention. The point of that piece was to say there's this perceived gap, I think, between like critical taste, which is the taste of all these critics groups giving out awards, most of which have gone to Roma this year, that we're, it's a very highbrow way of thinking versus kind of the lower brow. Now the momentum will start to shift and the industry will weigh in. It seems like this time they're going in a completely different direction. And the point of that piece was to say, there's so many good movies this year. I don't expect them to listen to us. I'm not trying to impose any orthodoxy on like what you have to do. There's so many options. You could have given it to A Star is Born or to Black Panther or to Black Klansman or If Beale Street Could Talk or any of these very good to great movies that were up for it. And so I was just appalled, like so many people, that they basically gave their top two Best Picture Awards, the Globes I'm speaking about, to the two of the worst movies nominated, <laughs> Green Book for drama and, no, 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 Green Book, there I go, I made the mistake, Green Book for musical or comedy and Bohemian Rhapsody for drama. And it's interesting too, A Star is Born, which also could be classified, I think, as musical or comedy is up for drama. And I think that's a way to try to impose some kind of seriousness on these movies as someone who likes A Star is Born much more than Mary does, I think it wears that I think it wears that moniker a little bit better. I would say Bohemian Rhapsody is like best unintentional comedy. But now what does it mean, do you think, with the best popular Oscar, the sort of thwarted popular Oscar award hovering over this whole season, that now, I think especially with Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a worldwide box office sensation to a level I don't think anyone quite saw coming, it's almost as if careful what you wish for. Now, Bohemian Rhapsody has like stormed into award season in a way that I don't think many people expected. And Glenn, what do you think that means? Like having an actual popular movie, but not our kind of popular movie, be in the awards conversation in this way all of a sudden? It was like if you looked at the Producers Guild, 10 movies that were nominated on Friday, feels like... The Academy floated that idea of a popular film Oscar, and everybody kind of just took it to heart this year, even after they canceled it a month later. It's like the kinds of movies that are showing up, like Bohemian Rhapsody, Crazy Rich Asians was nominated for the PGA, which I liked, but I would not say is one of the 10 best movies of the year. Quiet Place, again, I liked a lot. 
you have these box office commercial hits being floated for best picture. And it seems like, yeah, I could never have imagined. And you know what? Neither did 20th Century Fox that Bohemian Rhapsody would be in the best picture conversation because when they had the first screening on the lot, Back in early November, late October, all that people were talking about was Rami Malek. And they were hoping maybe Rami Malek would be in the best actor conversation. But nobody imagined the box office and nobody imagined that it would be in the conversation for one of the best movies of the year. But I heard from a lot of readers, some about your column, Justin. Oh, (laughs) I don't know why they're emailing me, but... (laughs) Uh, no, but I, I, I think I mentioned it in my Post Globes piece that ran on the front page Monday. Part of the reason that the studio was probably very reluctant to really go full on with Bohemian Rhapsody at first is that it's a very unusual situation of it's a movie that has this very troubled production backstory. Right. The credited director of the film, Brian Singer, was fired midway through the film. He didn't finish the film. He obviously has a lot of sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations against him from the past. There is a sort of an aura of controversy and just trouble around that movie that I think if it was not the box office hit that it is, would be holding it back. But somehow it's just in the way that Hollywood's always hoping these things will happen. It's just blown right by those problems and is leaving them behind. It won the last two Globes of the night, and neither Rami Malek nor Graham King, the producer, mentioned or thanked or cited Brian Singer. I don't think that's ever happened where the director of a movie is just like, you know, ghosted. Mary, at a time when Hollywood's trying to reportedly clean up its act when in the sort of post Me Too Time's Up era that we're in, that people want to think that these kind of issues are something people are dealing with head on. And yet with this movie, they're just dancing right around it. And what do you think that means? Well, I'm not convinced that Bohemian Rhapsody is in the Oscar race just because it won the Globe. I mean, I think Rami Malek might be because he's been talked about for a really long time. And I think certainly if they start to actively campaign, they are going to have to directly address that issue, whether they say we don't want to diminish the work of all of these other wonderful people because one person is being accused of something heinous. But they have to address it and there has to be like some sort of conversation about it. But again, I'm not at all convinced that this wasn't anything more than just like the Golden Globes having a brain glitch or something. But I do agree with what Glenn said about like, I think the popular Oscar received the immediate reaction to it was so vociferously negative that I think there probably are Academy members that are like, let's make sure we don't need to have a popular Oscar. You know, let's make sure we get enough popular movies in the actual real conversation, which I think is good. You know, I mean, I think Black Panther was one of the best movies of the year if not the best movie of the year. And the fact that it was a Marvel production, you know, that shouldn't be held against it. We've had plenty of popular movies that have won the best picture. And so I think that the movie industry is suffering this year, most noticeably what the television industry has been suffering, is that like this splintering of platforms and just a wealth of content that is like apples and oranges and cherries and kiwis, and you're trying to judge it all together. The Academy has often been criticized for going for the smaller films that nobody saw as opposed to the bigger films. But now the films that we thought were so small seem huge compared to some of the others. I loved Private Life. And how many people saw that? Like 10. (laughs) I don't know. Well, who knows? Netflix doesn't release its numbers. But what I'm saying is that doesn't make it a better or worse movie. It just makes the mix more complicated than it's ever been. 
you know, one movie that has been a big part of the awards conversation is Black Panther, but it hasn't necessarily been picking up wins. Ryan Coogler, the director of the film, was not nominated by the Directors Guild. Where do you sort of see Black Panther right now within the awards picture? I feel as if its Best Picture nomination is pretty secure at this point, and it should be up for much more, but I'm grateful for that at least. You know, the DGA nominees, which were exactly the same as the Golden Globe nominees, it was Adam McKay for Vice, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Bradley Cooper for Stars Born, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, and Peter Farrelly for Green Book. They were the exact same five as the Globes, which shows, you know, it's just either a horrible coincidence or just a startling paucity of imagination. It shouldn't have to be a remarkable year for films directed by women for women to be taken seriously as director nominees. But this was an extraordinary year for female directors with Leave No Trace and Private Life and The Writer and Zama and Happy as Lazaro. And I could go down the list. And these movies are just not being seen. And if they get them in front of the voters, they don't have the buzz except for the critical buzz and nobody listens to it. So Black Panther to me is like a movie that should be doing a lot better, right? Because it's this huge worldwide cultural phenomenon, the top grossing movie of the year and a huge critical success. Like what does a single movie have to do? And to go to something that Glenn was saying about whether we're seeing kind of this defiant shift toward populism, which almost puts me in a horribly Trumpian state of mind. Like, did this popular film, is this something that's just in the atmosphere? But that could mean something respectable, like I think A Star is Born or Black Panther. Instead, it means a shift to Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book, both of which are very old-fashioned kinds of entertainments and populist, I think, in kind of the worst way, and just really retrograde in their racial politics and their sexual politics. I don't think voters are scripting this narrative and the narrative is still playing out, but I do think there's some way in which it's like, let's just be as crass and vulgar and stupid as we want to be. Glenn, that brings up an interesting point in that up until this point in an award season, it's really people like us talking about the movies, the sort of the mediatocracy or whatever you want to call it, like who are setting the agenda and are talking about these are the movies we should be talking about. These are the award season movies. But then once we get into the where we are right now, especially once these guild nominations come out, that's when the industry starts to actually talk and like let us know what movies they like and they are considering as among the best pictures of the year. For you, where do you sort of think we're at right now from having the PGA, the DGA, the WGA, those nominations, has it reframed it all for you? Which movies are really in the conversation, whether it be about Black Panther or Star is Born, Roma, Green Book, or Bohemian Rhapsody? I'd like to believe that, yeah, it's just a globe thing, just a brain fart from the HFPA. But I do keep hearing from Academy members, I love that movie. There was something about Bohemian Rhapsodies, the way it conveyed for these people, not for me because I hated it, but the excitement of the music, it seems to really evoke nostalgia yes. for a lot of people. And it is landing with Academy members. Um, Man, I've had that conversation, though, with so many people like, really, you're going to nominate a movie directed by Brian Singer? I just can't imagine. Even worse, nominally directed by Brian Singer. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that a lot, too. People saying like, oh, I just love that Queen music. It's so fun to hear the Queen music in a movie. And I feel like, then nominate Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, right. because that at least... Which is such a better movie, by the such way. Such a better movie. <laughs> such a better movie. And I love listening to those ABBA songs just much, probably, frankly, more than I like listening to Queen songs. So I just think that weird nostalgia idea, and I just like listening to those songs, to me is like the 
craziest, strangest metric by which to judge a movie. I just think it's just such a lazy standard because, yeah, that Queen soundtrack is great. And I enjoyed the music, too. I enjoyed listening to it. But I think the movie does such a shoddy, just slipshod job of telling you, like, how that music came to be and exploring the personalities behind it. So I think if we're just like the whole point is just to give you a good time and, you know, give you a throwback to Live Aid or something. It's just such a low standard. This is exactly know. how I feel about A Star is Born, though. So. <laughs> but I guess to answer, to answer your question, where, where are we at? I mean, when Justin and I did a conversation after L.A. Film Critics' vote, which we gave Roma Best Picture, I said then that I thought Roma was going to go on and win the Oscar for Best Picture. And I still believe that. I don't think that the Academy is going to give Best Picture to a remake, which is Star is Born. I had a moment where I kind of thought Black Panther could be a consensus choice, but it hasn't been popping up enough in the guilds to make me believe that that's going to happen. I still think it's going to pull in several Oscar nominations for the craft categories. I'm firmly convinced it'll be nominated for Best Picture, but I don't think it's going to win. My whole thing with this was like, I think it could win the Screen Actors Guild Ensemble Award. It's got just one of the best ensembles of any movie this year. I think it has the best ensemble of any movie that's SAG nominated. I could see that winning. And then does it have momentum going into Best Picture? That's what I was considering, but I don't think it's landed with enough Academy members. And that leaves Roma, which is one of my favorites, if not my favorite film of the year. And I think Alfonso Cuaron is pretty assured of winning the director Oscar. Now, is this one of the years where they'll split picture and director? Perhaps. But I don't think, as I wrote today that Green Book is the kind of movie that this new Academy with about 2,500 new members, much more inclusive, much more international members. It's too much of a throwback movie to the kind of movie that used to win Best Picture, but I don't think wins Best Picture anymore. You know, people compared it to Driving Miss Daisy, and it doesn't quite hold up as a comparison, but it's that kind of movie. It's that kind of simplistic look at race. And I don't think it's the kind of movie that wins Best Picture in 2019. You look back at just the last five Best Picture winners, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, whatever you like or dislike about those movies. And I don't like all of them. I love some of them. That does seem to reflect a hipper, wiser academy. Than, and that is even before they started this major push toward diversifying the voting membership. And so I am also kind of share your optimism that they're not going to go for a green book. Or, but, I, you know, anything could happen still. But with Roma, it's funny. And I'm not even the biggest Roma fan. I admire it more than I really love it. But I'm almost going to start praying that it wins if this is what we're looking at. I mean, my, it's funny. If, if Black Panther gets in, Black Panther will quite easily, I think, be my favorite of the Best Picture nominees, followed maybe closely by The Favorite or something, which I do love and which I think is going to get in because the the craft of that movie is pretty immaculate. And that, I think, overrides the fact that it's a much sharper and more subversive kind of British period drama than you than normally get. I almost think it would be more of a slam dunk if it were more a conventional movie. But if Roma gets in, I would applaud it just for, yes, that finally a foreign language film has one best picture and an art film at that, a black and white neorealist art film. I love what that represents. 
I think it's really interesting to consider the fact that for so long we've thought of the Globes as being precursors to the Oscars. But every year that the Academy grows, and it's grown by leaps and bounds in the past few years, broadens the distance between the voting bodies of the two award shows. I mean, it's eight, what is it, 87 people? 88, 88 yeah. foreign journalists who have their own set of homogenous characteristics versus like this kind of astonishing array of people that grows every year more astonishing and arrayed. So I think that it will be interesting to see if that kind of role that the Golden Globes has been assumed to play continues because the, it's like five people voting on something and then asking the country to vote on something. It's like you're going to get different answers, especially with the landscape being so diverse itself. I mean, Black Panther has to get nominated for Best Picture and it should win for Best Picture. I mean, I liked Without a Trace. That was my favorite movie. I liked Eighth Grade. That was my favorite movie. And in other years, I would make a huge argument that they should win or certainly be considered. I do think it is alarming that the only thing that the groups seem to, all the groups that we're talking about here seem to agree on is that a woman director will not be winning this year. <laughs> that seems to, like there seemed to have been a memo sent out. <laughs> like No women on these lists. Deborah Granick did win the LA Film Critics Best Director <laughs> okay. Award. So she's stand, like the rare, the rare exception, though. Yes. Rare, you're um, absolutely right. That was a beautiful movie. Yes. It is interesting getting back to kind of what you were talking about earlier. After, you know, all this attention to women and women in roles besides being tremendous actors, we're not really seeing that. And I hope that the Academy does take that into consideration. You don't want people being nominated just because they are anything. But there are a lot of talented women directors who made some really fine films this year. And that would be great to see. Well, and it's also just we talk about kind of representation. And when you have like only five nominees, usually in a category, there's only so many different voices you can try. And last year was kind of extraordinary where you had Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig, you know, two of the most acclaimed and, you know, critically successful movies of the year who both got in very deservedly, I think. And to see a black man and a white woman nominated was wonderful. And yet this year, I mean, I think Spike Lee is going to get in, but this is going to be Spike Lee's first director nomination ever. I know. I know. Yeah. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And famously not nominated for Do the Right Thing. And so so now it's like. should win in Glenn Close. (laughs) But it's like, that's what it takes. And you almost feel as if like, I mean, I I think people like Black Klansman a lot and it's probably the best thing he's done in a while, but it's probably a sense of obligation with what you're doing that too. What about Ryan Coogler or Barry Jenkins or Steve McQueen for Widows even? I know there's longer shots, but it's like, if you want to nominate somebody who's not another white man, you have every opportunity to do so. I don't know why they're not taking that opportunity. Going into the Globes on Sunday night, A Star is Born had three nominations. Glenn, you wrote something about how, like, how many speeches is Bradley Cooper mm. going to have to give that night? And it, <laughs> he ended up giving no speeches and won only one award for best song. And I don't know, although it's still at this point, I think, is the movie that is kind of the hitting all the marks for all the Guild nominations along the way. It's the one movie that's getting nominated everywhere it kind of goes. And Mary, I know you have very strong feelings, <laughs> strong feelings. about A Star is Born, and I want to be sure to give you a chance to uh, to speak on it. I mean, I always think it's interesting. I mean, Hollywood loves movies about performing. So there's that. And this movie just will not go away. What is this, like the fifth remake of it or whatever? They just love this particular movie. And they love the fact that Lady Gaga didn't wear her makeup, which if I saw that one more time, I was going to shoot myself in the head how brave she was not to wear makeup. It's like, that's not bravery. (laughs) 
but okay. I have a lot of problems with the story itself, which is nobody's fault, not Bradley Cooper's fault, not Lady Gaga's fault. With the possible exception of like the first 30 minutes of the movie, I found it boring. I thought it was like, I never believed they were in love. I thought they were the worst married couple ever. I thought she looked like a little gold digger. I mean, who doesn't pick their husband up from rehab? Who doesn't pick their husband up from rehab? Everybody picks their husband up from rehab. It's like, and she's just in there. Oh, hey, you know, he's been gone for three months. Hey, you know, and we're supposed to like think it's some huge, you know, sacrifice that she might have to miss a tour because her husband is fighting a life threatening disease. No problem. You know, and she was fine. But every single actress that's been mentioned for best actress is like 11 million times better than she is, which is not surprising. She's not an actress. She's a fabulous performer, but she's not Glenn Close. God almighty, Glenn Close (laughs) can do more with just her face staring at the camera in three seconds than Lady Gaga did during that whole movie. Well, at the Golden Globes, I think when Glenn Close won for Best Actress in a Drama and, in fact, beat Lady Gaga, Glenn Close seemed as surprised as anyone else. And, Glenn, to what extent do you think, I mean, to me, the biggest factor with the Globes with regards to Oscars is those speeches are, to some extent, like an audition. And I think Glenn Close gave such a stirring speech that, frankly, I think she won the Academy Award on Sunday night by the speech that she gave because it was so genuine and so heartfelt. The one kind of challenge I wonder about is Simply, I don't know that that many people still have seen The Wife, the movie that Glenn Close <laughs> is in. I've, I'm hearing, I've heard a number of people tell me they've watched it on planes, which <laughs> maybe is going to be the first movie you know, to win an Academy Award via planes. As much as people like Glenn Close, respect Glenn Close, want Glenn Close to win this Oscar, people maybe still haven't seen this movie or are just catching up to that movie. Is that a positive for her? Is it a problematic? I mean, it's definitely problematic in the sense that, I mean, every awards consultant will tell you their primary job is to get people to see their movies. And you would think that as a voter, you would be plugging these things in and watching them. But that's not the case. There's a big stack and movies sit on top of the stack for a long time. And that's the challenge to get people to see the films. With The Wife that came out in late August, weird release date for Sony Pictures Classics. I don't know how many people have seen it. It's got a title, The Wife, that is not exactly, uh, I think, for a lot of male Academy members. I'm just being, it's just, yeah, man, why I want to see a movie called The Wife. I mean, I know these people. It's like, yeah. Well, Glenn Close herself said in that speech that the movie took 14 years to get made, in part because it right, was called right. The Wife. I remember her telling me that when I interviewed her in, in August. I had forgotten that. That's exactly right. Nobody wanted to make a movie called The Wife. And there's a few people out there that don't want to watch a movie called The Wife. I would say The Favorite, which Olivia Coleman is in, and who could be the favorite for still for lead actress... Um, a lot more people have seen The Favorite than The Wife, and that's a big part of the battle. But based on that Golden Globes win and that speech, that's going to cause some people to go back and take a look at it. And when they do, they're going to see what a remarkable performance she gave. Justin, you brought up a really interesting point before we got started recording that you feel like the fact that there are just so many movies right now that we're all grappling with just the wave of content that's hitting us that people don't even know how to start with their screener pile. What do you think that matters with regards to a year like this where there are frankly so many great movies that came out this year? Some people who are just sort of like just getting started catching up on their screeners don't even know where to begin. 
Well, I don't have the data to back this up, but as someone whose job it is to watch movies all the time and I feel overwhelmed, I can only imagine what this job is like for filmmakers and Academy members or actors and directors and writers whose job is not primarily to watch movies, but to make them. And it's funny, the reason why, if I can go on a limb here and say that I think critics do make the best arbiters of awards and are the best people to, you know, bring their taste to bear on the decisions that get made of, of who wins what is not because we have superior taste. It's because it's our job to watch movies. And I do think that nominations, especially when you see these nomination lists that look suspiciously alike, resemble each other. And that kind of homogeny comes into play with critics groups as well. Sir, sometimes we are just rubber stamping each other and we're always trying to look for consensus. And that consensus causes a lot of really interesting movies and performances to fall by the wayside. But I just, I don't know. I look at the DGA nominations and yeah, I know a lot a lot of people do like Vice. I didn't. It just feels like this rubber stamping. It's like, did you look a little bit beyond? And I understand it's hard to listen to people, you know, saying, see this, see that. But I just feel like people are looking at the starriest names. And again, it's like, I do like A Star is Born. And I feel fortunate that that movie is as good as it is because it seems to be the foregone conclusion. We could have had a much worse movie. I do think that its position as the frontrunner is still fairly secure. I don't know if you agree with me. I I just think that you just made an excellent point, though. You know, we're both in L.A. film critics, as is Mark. And we hear all the time, well, you guys just like being weird. You know, you just like doing these weird choices. But what it comes down to is just seeing as much as we can see and not making choices for the sake of being outside the box, but just considering a wide variety of things. Like, if I don't see you in the screening rooms in April and May, doing the work and seeing movies all year round, I really don't want to see you in the screening rooms of Los Angeles in, you know, November, December, when people just show up to see sort of like the awards movies. Like, it is, I think you're right in that, like, you do have to, like, do the work and really, like, see a lot of these movies. But I will also say, as somebody who's not a film critic, and, <laughs> and when I was a television critic, we don't have those kinds of, we don't vote on anything. You know, you say you're more disparate than the larger organizations, but what about like Paddington? You know, I mean, what about like the fact that the Harry Potter movies won no Oscars at all to me is like, how did that happen? It's like, yes, it's more diverse, perhaps, but it's diverse in a certain way. I still feel like my theory is that the Academy is still dying because they had to give all those awards to the the Lord of the Rings because they just could not, that they refuse now, they refuse to ever do that again. And so anything that is remotely like that is never going to win an award. I do think critics do have this tendency, and I hate the term highbrow or, you know, I hate to talk about brows, you know, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, you know, the LA Film Critics actually has been on the more popular side of things over historically. You know, we, we gave it to E.T. when the Academy gave it to Gandhi. We gave our Best Picture Award to Wally. Um, I still remember the year of Lord of the Rings, which I love, absolutely love. And the New York Film Critics Circle, considered one of the highest brow groups, gave Best Picture to Return of the King. And it just the entire what was, you know, it was the Oscar blogosphere was not what it is now. But everyone was just like, what? what? You know, people. And it was so the right decision. Black Panther is kind of that movie this right. year, right? So I and um, Wonder I wish, Woman was too. Wonder Woman was too, and and I wish the LA Film Critics had given Best Picture to Black Panther or something. It's like that would have been cool. I wish a critics group had given Black Panther their I Best Picture award. Yeah, I, I did Good for you, Glenn. Yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of people did in the room. 
And uh, as one way for us to sort of conclude this conversation, you know, we're having this talk while Oscar nominations voting is open. And so I want to give each of you a chance to sort of stump for maybe one or two things that you would hope that if an awards voter has listened to this far into our podcast and they're staring at their pile of screeners and they don't quite know where to get started. Glenn, what would maybe be one or two things that you would hope that an Oscar voter would consider? Two movies. Eighth Grade, which we've mentioned, I think captured the timeless terrors of adolescence in a way that just ripped my heart out, but also captured the current moment of adolescence in a way that felt true and not judgy either. It just felt right spot on. Another movie that was a big award season contender when Toronto Film Festival open fall festivals was First Man, which I rewatched because I was interviewing Damien Chazelle, the director, and Ryan Gosling. So I watched it a second time and it really improved on a second viewing. And I liked it the first time, but the emotions of that movie, just I found myself tearing up at the story of this determination of what it took to get into space. And, you know, this is a movie that's showing up in a lot of Guild Awards. It's showing up in editing, cinematography, sound, score. It's a beautifully made movie, and yet it's probably not going to be nominated for Best Picture. And I think years from now, we'll be looking back and going, why was Bohemian... No, I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) And Justin, is there anything you'd like to uh, people to pull out of that screener pile? Yeah, I also just want to echo, I think, the first man is someone who underrated first man the first time I saw it, and it really fell into place for me the second time. I hope that movie is not forgotten as well. For me, I would say for best supporting actor, Steven Yun in Burning, Korean-American actor, very well known to audiences here, mostly for The Walking Dead, but for other things too. He was in Sorry to Bother You this year. A Korean-American actor who gave a flawless entirely Korean language performance in Lee Chang-dong's movie, which I think is a masterpiece. And he plays this wealthy, leisurely man of privilege who might be an arsonist or serial killer, but you're not sure. You know, you don't know. Truly a man of mystery. And it's just the most kind of dryly funny, urbane, smug, infuriating, just fascinating character. That's probably the best or second best performance I've seen this year. And that would make me so happy if he showed up in that race. And for best director, I am going to say Chloe Zhao for the writer. Not the only woman I would have nominated for best director this year by a long shot. Also Lucrecia Martel for Zama, also Tamara Jenkins, also Deborah Granick. But Chloe Zhao, I just thought that movie, which I'm very fond of, which premiered at like Cannes in 2017, and it has just hung in there and it won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Picture. I think it's a beautiful film. It's so intimate. It's so raw, heartbreaking, beautiful performances that she gets out of her non-professional actors whose stories she's lightly fictionalized. She just captures landscape and yet psychological interiority as well, like with equal brilliance. And she's going to direct a Marvel movie next, The Eternals, interestingly. And I'm so happy for her for that. Not that we need more Marvel movies necessarily, but hey, <laughs> if we you gotta. deserve that paycheck. So Thank terrible. you. Mary, what would you hope people would pull out of the screener pile? Well, I'm totally going to pull out Burning out of my screening pile because I haven't seen it yet, but I will watch it uh, tonight, maybe. I love Leave No Trace. I know it doesn't have a chance in hell. Maybe director. I mean, I think it's just one of those stories I'd never seen told quite that way. And just the way that the silence of it, the sound, I just was blown away by that movie. So I wish that that were somehow in the race. I also am a huge fan of Eighth Grade, and I hope that the fact that it premiered so long ago is not held against it because it really was kind of a breathtaking and, you know, real 
like I had literally as a woman, I had to like put my hands in front of my face a couple of times in for some of the scenes. So that's always good when you make your audience uncomfortable. It means you're doing something right to finish that up with the real. I'm all about the real right now as I really loved private life. I just thought, you know, if you want to talk about a love story, real love story, a real marriage in which real tragedy occurs, forget Star is Born for God's sakes and watch Private Life. That's two people who are deeply committed to each other and she would totally pick him up from rehab. And (laughs) so that's... (laughs) And I will take this opportunity to remind people to to watch Paul Schrader's First Reformed. I think Paul Schrader, for Best Original Screenplay, never nominated for an Academy Award. He has written Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The Last Temptation of Christ. He is a fine, fine filmmaker in his own right. And this film is just such a summation of themes that he's been grappling with his whole career. And I just think to see someone that's the kind of filmmaker that you at times have wanted to discount or discard, and for him to come back and do a work this just rounded and rich and thoughtful is just astonishing. And I think it would be just so fantastic to see him acknowledged for this film in particular for First Reform. And then also for Best Supporting Actor, I want to be sure to mention Brian Tyree Henry for If Beale Street Could Talk. I mean, it's a very small role. I think he has maybe 12 minutes of screen time, a lot of it taken up by a single scene where he's delivering a long monologue. And it's not the kind of role that now is typically rewarded as Best Supporting Actor. And to me, at least, it is a role where he comes in and his performance just turns that movie around. It actually is literally midway through the movie. So the movie itself just pivots on his scene and that performance. And it really is just an astonishing thing, I think, to recognize him, what he brings to that movie and what that role sort of like does to the film itself. To my mind, what the idea of a supporting actor and a supporting performance is all about. So I would hope everybody would consider Brian Tyree Henry. So now, please tell everybody where they can find your work online. Mary, where are you on the Twitter there? On the Twitter, I am at at MaryMacTV. Glenn? At Glenn Whip, two N's, two P's. I am at Justin C. Chang. And I, of course, am at Indie Focus. And so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.